chapter 5. There's still some more things that I wanted to look at here in 1 John chapter 5. The, the, uh, the first five verses, although we're, we're actually going to do kind of an overview of those five verses this morning. 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, Lord, we do pray that you would give us understanding, give us ears to hear, help us to comprehend this passage, we pray, and apply it to our hearts. So we ask, Lord, that you would search us and Know our hearts, try us, know our ways, and see if there be any wicked way in us, and lead us, Lord, in the way of everlasting. And when we ask these things, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Still quite a, quite a bit here in these first five verses. Although one of the things that really stands out, I think, is this idea in verse 2 of keeping his commandments. Verse 3, if we love God... Uh, we will keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome, by the way. And what John is doing in this letter is he's actually kind of repeating what he's already said. Did you Have you, you caught that? You notice that he does repeat himself quite a bit. Um, one of my professors says that repetition is the key to, to learning. That if you, were, you see things over and over again, uh, read them over and over again, hear them over and over again. That, that helps you learn these things, and, and, and they, they have a way of working their way into your self-conscious. And so at the time when you need them, I believe that the Holy Spirit uses those things that are in your self-conscious to remind you of how to walk in truth. And, and here we have this, this idea of keeping his commandments. It's, the word commandments is given to us ten times in the book of First John. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and 3, or 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, by this we know him if we keep his commandments. Uh, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Uh, John 2, 7, uh, beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And then 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Then in 1 John chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. So First uh, John, uh, John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3 covers this idea of keeping the commandments. Um, first, we're, we're told to love each other. Verse John chapter 2. Love each other, but also in 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 15 through 17, we're told not to love the world. So the, this, this book is really heavy on instruction. Uh, and then later in, in chapter 2, he, John goes on to say, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. I just read it. Um, then in chapter 3, he, he talks about our commandments as, is that we do what pleases God. We do what pleases God, verse 23 of chapter 3. We believe in the name of his son and love each other. There's that, that commandment to love each other a second time. Now, of course, what does it mean to believe in the name of his son? What does that mean? Well, I believe that Jesus, God had a son named Jesus. Is that good enough? Some of you are shaking your head. No, this idea of believing in the name refers to believing in the nature. Remember, we covered this, I think, when we were in this particular passage, and then again a second time, this idea of believing in the name of Jesus Christ is not just believing that he was a person or that he existed, but understanding his nature, that he has come as God in the flesh. So understanding who he is is equally as important as understanding uh, the fact that he existed. So we do what pleases God. We believe in his name. Um, and then, and then uh, in, in 1 John 4, if you love God, you will love the brethren. That's another command that we have. So the third time that we are given this command to love the brethren, the second time we are given the command to love God. Which, which really uh, is an expression of when Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? He said you would do what? You would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But he didn't stop. And he said the second is as the first, that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And on this hangs all the prophets and, and all the law. And, and so... Uh, if we love God and we love our neighbors, then we are really fulfilling that which the prophets have declared. We're really fulfilling that which the law intended for us to live. And so you, you have these two commandments that are interwoven in here where we're to love God and love the brethren, or, and it's never been a good word, but we also, I should say, just to include you ladies, to love the sisterin. Sisterin's not a word, is it? I just made it up. Anyway, uh, but love the sisterin. I like brothers and sisters, actually. Uh, just like blessed, I say blessed. And some people, like, kind of, they're on the edge of their seat going, he didn't say blessed. Well, it's blessed, anyway. But, you know, old King James and new King James, and I try to... I kind of lean toward the new. But, but um, nonetheless, that if we, by this we know, verse 2, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
I know some people, I almost want to say a lot of people, who will tell me how much they love God, but they will also, in the next sentence, tell me how much they have written a law. Now, they won't say it this way, but they have written a law unto themselves. And so they follow their own sense of what the commandments are. And so when it's easy to love someone, they'll do it. It's easy to love lovely people, isn't it? It's not so easy to love people when they're not being lovely. And I think when you have unlovely people in your life, and let me rephrase that. I think when you have lovely people in your life that sometimes act unlovely, maybe that's better. Is that better? Some, you didn't, some of you, you didn't, never mind. You're with me. Okay. I can see why you're squinting your eyes because you're laughing now. You're with me. Okay. But, but um, that's, when we, then our, that's where our love, that is when our love is really tested. And when we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and how to understand what that really means. And, and, I, and, I, and I've shared with this you before. Uh, I don't believe that, that, um, that love means that you're just to be a doormat for people. I don't, I don't think that's, 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 that, that's, there's another word for that. It's called enabling. Right? Where you enable someone. What you do, and you know what an enabler is? Some of us know more about what an enabler is than others, but I'll just look at the ceiling and keep going here. But nonetheless, an enabler is someone who helps someone continue in their dysfunction. Which is not really a loving thing to do. Sometimes love speaks correction. Sometimes love actually confronts. And that's where it becomes challenging because normally the correction and the confrontation is often interpreted as what? Unloving. Unloving. And, and so by this we know that we love the children of God. And we're just talking about family here, by the way. The family of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. So, so what... What, what John is really doing here is he, he's really kind of, he's kind of flipping John 3, verse 23 around. John 3, 23 says to us, uh, uh, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I read it to you earlier. So he's basically just taking that, that same concept, concept and he's flipping it around. If we love God, uh, you know, or if we know that we love the children of God when we love God. We know that we love the children of God when we love God. Because if we love God, this is almost starting to feel like a mental tongue twister, isn't it? Anyway, but if we, if we truly love God, how is that going to be expressed in our life? If we truly love God, how is that going to be expressed in our life? 
Because love often involves sacrifice. Now, I just told you, it doesn't mean that you're to be a doormat, but often it does require sacrifice. And, and I think part of, of, of holding love in, in, in godly discernment and in godly wisdom is that, is that sometimes you know when to speak and when not to speak. Or you know to what degree you need to go in a certain area and where you need to stop. Or back off. But if we love God and we keep his commandments, then we are engaging with the people in our lives from the standpoint of someone who has a pure and a clean heart. I, I think that might have been, I'm going to speculate here, your mileage may vary, that might have been part of what motivated David in Psalm 51 to pray that create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Obviously, he wanted his relationship with God to be repaired. But he also knew as the king of the nation that if he did not have a right heart before God, that he could not have a right heart in governing and ruling over his people. He could not engage with even his own family unless he had a right heart with God. Because when we are not loving God and when we are not keeping his commandments, and this is going to sound really trite, but when we are not loving God and we are not keeping his commandments, we're off doing something else. Does that make sense? Follow my thinking here a little bit. I'm going to unpack that just a bit more. I think some of you get what I'm saying. In other words, we never exist in a void. We never exist in a void. I was talking with some friends recently about our alcohol, alcoholic fathers and, and how their lives, not only their, their practices, they're, they're not keeping the commandments of God. Their practices not only affected them, but it affected everybody around them for years to come. And... and, and when we lose our connection with God, which means loving him and therefore keeping his commandments, Jesus said in the book of John, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. When we lose our connection with God, we become, uh, 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 what's the word I want to use? There's several of them flashing in and out of my brain. We become a detriment to others when we lose our connection to God. And, and I'm talking about Christian people. This letter is written to Christian people. This letter is not written to non-Christians. It's written to the church. So he, he says, if, for, for this is, is the, uh, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. Again, chapter 3, verse 23, he's flipped it over backwards, if you will, or he's reversed it. 
Because if we love God, we will love the brethren. And we can only love the brethren at times. I would submit to you that often. We can only love the family of God because we love God. Because let's face it. Some people are just downright irritating. Are they not? And at times, don't we just need a break? Boy, this is getting interesting, isn't it? The looks on you. I bet you're glad you have a mask on. I should go put mine on. But it's difficult. But part of keeping the commandments of God means you do not live in a bubble. You do not live in a vacuum. Because even at those times of, of solitude and those times of, 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 of being alone by yourself, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to keep the commandments. What was that old saying, idle minds is the devil's workshop? Is that it? Something to that effect. What? Playground. The devil's playground. Hmm. I wanted to say think about that one for a while, but don't. Okay, anyway. But. So, we can truly love one another, a commandment that we have been given, when we are truly loving God. Because there are at times I'm like, God, I really wish you would have someone else to go love this person instead of me. You ever been there? Of course you have. The lovely are easy to love. The unlovely at times are there to test your resolve and your love for God in keeping his commandments, which says you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's when it gets downright hard and difficult. And that is a very, very tough calling, I think, upon our lives. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And so, verse 3, John John reinforces this idea that if we do love God, we're going to keep his commandments. And and this becomes troublesome. Because at times it's like, well, can you just grade on a scale? Or you almost, I've met people that it's like they want to approach the Lord in this, in the same way that a student in college is taking an undergraduate or a, a prerequisite, a, a general ed. They're taking a general education class. They don't care about the class. They just want to get through the class. It's not going to have any effect on their vocational future at all. And so essentially they approach the professor and say, what's the least amount of work I have to do in this class to get a B? So if you've ever been in teaching, you would understand that that just irritates the living daylights out of professors, doesn't it? And they just feel like, well, why am I teaching you this? And and I think at times we approach the Lord in his commandments. How about if I give you about 80%? 
You ever do that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. Anyway, I think we all do from time to time. You know what's even worse, I think, about that is there are times that we do that and we don't even realize that we do. Because we become so wrapped up in the things that we do that are pleasing, at least to ourselves, that we think that we are truly pleasing God in all our ways. And, and, and I think this is part of where the sanctification process comes in. That is that where the Lord is conforming you and he's growing you and he's changing you and you are becoming more Christ-like in your thoughts, in your attitudes, in your words, and in your deeds. You know, because of his grace, he'll take that 80%. I'm convinced. Now, he's called you to something greater. He's called you to something bigger. He's called you to something fuller. And, and do we ever consider these things that these are invitations of God for us to walk in a deeper, wholer, more holistic, fuller life? Or God just wants me to love everybody and I don't want to love everybody because not everybody's lovable. Well, of course they're not. And maybe some people feel that way about you. And yet, we've been called to love. And I, again, this is not the syrupy, sweet, little, which really makes me sick, actually. But, you know, but, but love has substance to it. Love is, is an action. It, 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 it's something that we do uh, uh, toward people to help people, to encourage them, to build them up. At times, to put up with their nonsense. You can substitute any other word that you want in there. I'm fine with it. But just to put up with their garbage. But to posture yourself in such a way that you can be in a place where you can help them and lift them up. That's not always easy to do. I think as we get older, I think that becomes harder to do. Because we become a little bit more calloused. We've been burned several times. Everybody's been burned, right? More than once. And yet God calls us to this type of radical life of keeping his commandments. And he says his commandments are not burdensome. There have been days that I've, been, I've wanted to put a question mark in the column next to that verse in my Bible. Not burdensome. Remember what Paul wrote, he said that we, that, that we are never tempted beyond what we are able and with every temptation he provides what? A way out, a way of escape. I think often it is we don't look for the escape hatch. You know what I'm saying? We don't look for the way out. We look for the way, we're presented with these situations and at times, and they become an indulgence. 
They become an indulgence in our own soul where we just have to just explode like a maniac. We've all done it. Well, except for maybe Daniel. He's pretty calm. But anyway, (laughs) but we have. We've all done this from time to time. I, I, and, and I'm even thinking of a story that one of you guys told me uh, that was a while back, and, and you pushed back on somebody. Um, sometimes you need to do that as well. Again, I'm, I'm not talking about you being a doormat. I'm talking about you being responsive and having a sense of discernment and wisdom because you are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you are keeping his commandments and responding in a way that would honor and glorify him. And sometimes that requires a pushback. Believe it or not. The situation that I'm thinking of, I would have pushed back a whole lot harder. And yet the reality is we have to remember that we are dealing, we talked about this a little bit in in Ephesians chapter 6 and Wednesday night, this whole idea of spiritual warfare. We, We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, uh, spiritual uh, rulers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not fighting against them. We're fighting against the enemy of our souls. And so because of that, this is, again, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Because Jesus, when he tells us in the book of John uh, that if you love me, keep my commandments. And then from there he goes right into teaching them about whom? The Holy Spirit. He teaches, he teaches them about the Holy Spirit. And, and he says, I will, I will send a comforter who will teach you all things that I have, and remind you of all things that I have said. He will teach you all things. In other words, the Holy Spirit is here to empower us to keep these commands so that we read in 1 John, they are truly not burdensome because we can depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be obedient to that which God has commanded us in loving our brothers and sisters. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What does that verse mean? Well, one, it's a comparison between our evil, our evilness and we give good gifts to our children anyway. Sometimes, but maybe not the best motives, but I don't want to go there. Okay. Even evil people can be good. But how much more? How much more? How much greater? Well, the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? So what do you have to do? You have to ask. You have to ask. God did not save you to turn you into a robot. You participate in your sanctification. Now, it is his work. 
It is what he does in you, but he doesn't do and he doesn't do any work on the lump of clay until the lump of clay decides to get on the wheel and be turned and be molded by the potter's hands. So we ask of the Holy Spirit so that these commands are in fact not burdensome because the reality is left to my own devices they are burdensome. Because every once in a while, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to come across people that I don't want to love them. They're idiots. Why would anybody love them, right? And, and of course, then you start thinking these bad things about them in your head. But by asking the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you're going to have to love this person through me. And perhaps in the process, you might actually teach me how to love a little bit better. And I think that's a lifelong endeavor at times. Because here you think you're, you know, you go through a, a, a spell of time, a patch of time that you think you're doing really good. And all of a sudden here comes that person or that situation. Some of you are almost laughing because you're thinking of that person, aren't you? And I used to have a saying here when we first, I tell you what, you either have to be called of God or insane to plant a church. I'm, I'm convinced. But, but when we first started here and I, I, I came up with a saying, just when you thought you had gotten enough grace out of me, there you go and you try to extract even more. You know, it's just like, like a pound of flesh wasn't enough, it seemed. But it, it, it taught me more about perseverance. His commandments are not burdensome because his Holy Spirit is given to us so that because we are born of God, we overcome, verse 4, the world. So the idea of walking in and keeping the commandments are, are, they run parallel to this idea of overcoming the world. Because as we keep God's commandments to love one another, then we are overcoming the world. Because, because I, what is the root of, a, of probably a lot of our sin? I think it's within the realm of personal interaction with others. I think it's in the realm of personal interaction with others. I think for the Christian, particularly a more mature Christian, because I bet, any, I bet you none of you were in the bar last night, right? Did any of you have to call Uber because you were too drunk to drive home last night? Anybody? Go raise your hand if you were. I want to know. <laughs> okay, those things, don't, those things aren't an issue for us, for most of us, Okay. At times they were, all right? But those things are, for, for us here today, those things, I would say, really aren't an issue for us. But the personal interaction with those people, the personal interaction with that person, that's where we need that place of keeping God's commandment empowered 
by his spirit. That is where we need to overcome the world because you've ever heard the phrase, I'm just using alcohol as an example here now, but you ever heard the phrase dry drunk? Some of you have. I have. Uh, Learned that in AA. It tells you about my past. But anyway, um, just because you're not doing a particular thing doesn't mean that your heart is still full of, 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 of vile, uh, 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 sinful thoughts, which eventually create sinful actions and sinful deeds. They're, they're, they're just contextualized differently. Does that make sense? Just because you're not hanging out in the bar or doing whatever, do, doing that, that kind of stuff, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which we're too old for that anyway, let's face it, all right? I understand that. Just, just because we're not doing that doesn't mean that we still don't have the problem with sin, of being judgmental, of being harsh, of being unloving, uh, of, of, of gossiping. Especially when you're gossiping when it's supposed to be a, hey, let's take prayer requests. Oh, that drives me crazy. I'd just rather sit down and pray. That's part of why I like to just sit down and pray. Instead of telling everybody, getting at me, everybody's dirty laundry list. But when we keep his commandments because we are born of God, then we overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our trust. Our willingness to say, you know what? God, I don't want to keep your commandment right now. Now, we don't really have these conversations with God or with ourselves, do we? But we do it in shorthand, all right? But those times when we say, God, I really don't, I really don't want to do this right now. However, because you have commanded it, I'm going to trust that your word still says that all things work together for good to those who are called by God according to his purpose. All right, I kind of flub, flubbed it a little bit. But anyway, those of us who are called according to his purpose, all things do work together for good. Your word says this, and you have commanded me to love the brother, and so I really don't want to, but I'm going to step out in faith and do it anyway. And sometimes we have to act our way into good thinking before we think our way into good acting. Does that make sense? And, and you know, I, my, my friend who's a pastor in southern Oregon who's like, yeah, I got drafted. Of course, I feel the same way about myself. But he got drafted. He didn't want to be a pastor. And, and, and with that, he, he was like, I don't want to love people. But God's commanded me to do this. So I'm going to do it. I mean, even God blessed Jonah when he begrudgingly um, obeyed God's command to go to Nineveh. Now he had to sit in the belly of the whale or the fish, whatever, for three days, which must have been a whole lot of fun. 
I didn't love those people, but nonetheless, and Jonah's an enigma here because I don't think he, at least in the story of the book, I don't think he ever loved those people. But guess who did? God loved those people. And they repented much to Jonah's displeasure. And God was so gracious with Jonah because I would have kicked him all over the mountains. I would have. What did he do? He even created a gourd for him to, to have some shade in the sun so that, so that he, he, he wouldn't get uh, too overly exposed. But God was gracious to him. You see, what you have here is who, he who overcomes the world, but who, or excuse me, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay? Verse 5 here. I've already talked at length about the deity of Christ. I believe that there is definite context that we have to understand about what Jesus professed about who he is, about what the scriptures profess about who he is. Rather than to just take this statement at faith, face value and say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Because if we, if we truly have a true biblical understanding of what that means, we would also say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son. So, understanding the true context of who Jesus is is very important here. But one of the things I, I, I want I want to and I kind of want to I'm going to close up with this idea. Um, everything that you and I do, and I, and I I thought about this quite a bit yesterday, and and so much that I didn't write anything down about it. So I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. But what what else is new, right? Everything that that you and I do stems forth from our belief of who Jesus is. That's really what John is, is, is driving at here in verse 5 when he says, who, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Because if I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I've received him as my Lord and Savior, then, then he is my Lord and if I love him, I will keep my commandments and if I believe everything else about God, and the Trinity, I will know that he also will tell me that if I love him, not only will I keep his commandments, but he will give me a helper to enable me to overcome. See how tightly wound this is? This is a really tightly wound circle. I know some of you are, I can almost see it in your faces, like I could go home and read this again. You know, but there's a lot here. But everything that we do as Christians is is intended for it to spring forth, for it to emerge from our belief in who Jesus is. And we incorporate that belief, not only the belief in who he is, but as I just said, and I'll just say it again, because I believe that he is the Lord, the Son of God, God the Son, that requires certain, certain things from me. It requires my sense of submission to him. 
it requires my sense of recognizing that he is my Lord. Therefore, if he says something for me to do, that means it's it's not negotiable. Which, going back to Jonah, he found that out, didn't he? Actually, he didn't negotiate. He said, find someone else. I'm out of here. So he gets on a ship. You know the story. Seas are rough, and they throw him overboard. I bet those guys were so glad to get rid of him. You know, if you think about, I wonder what the dynamic must have been like in the boat even before the storm, but I want to go down that rabbit trail today. And because I embrace all that he is, and because all that he is needs to shape and inform all that I do, follow me here? All right. We incorporate that belief into our attitudes, into our opinions, and into our responses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, don't bother to turn there, but it says that we, bring, we are bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We are bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ because our thinking life informs our attitudes. And by the way, our attitudes also inform our thinking life. And so Paul tells the Corinthians to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I, I think that's, that's the, same, the same way with our opinions. And I'm not going to go too broad into this. I'll just remind you that's an election year and your mileage may vary and you can apply this any way you feel like you need to. But are your opinions truly informed by the gospel narrative, are they informed by something else? Are they informed by the gospel narrative, which is informed by the kingdom of God, or are they informed by the kingdom of darkness? It's really, it's, to me, it's, 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 it, it really comes down to, to being that black and white. Am I going to let my opinions of the issues of the day be informed by what God has declared to me in his word? Or am I going to let someone else try to influence me and shape my thinking on these things? I think these are, these are really important questions that we need to ask ourselves. Because as we think through them, we take every thought obedience. Uh, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, he says this and he says that, but Lord, what do you say? Our attitudes and our opinions, but also our responses. Our responses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whatever, or whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever it is that you do, do it to the glory of God. Those responses only happen when we have allowed every thought to be taken captive to the obedience 
of Christ. When we have in our hearts and in our minds settled that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And thereby, when we keep his commandments, we will overcome in our attitudes and in our opinions that give birth to a kingdom response on how we're to deal with the people in our lives. Does that make sense? It's a tough call. But it also is an incredible, an incredible invitation. Because I realize that in the heat of the furnace of all these things, it is here that God is desiring to purify my heart and to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I feel like it's really cut this morning. I think at times we need to just take heed and take a second and, 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 and pause and hear your voice on the matter. We pray, Lord, for the empowering work of your Holy Spirit upon each of us that we would keep your commandments to love one another. I'd pray too, Lord, that you would help us to love you more. Lord, show us your glory. Help us to see you even deeper, even fuller, even broader. Help us to know the love of God and to respond to your love in kind. Help us to remember that you loved us so much that you gave your only one and unique son for each of us. Lord, we thank you for that gift of salvation. We pray too, Lord, that you would help us with difficult people. That you would help us to overcome the world and to recognize that often those people are, are put in our lives to be a mean to refine us. Help us to keep and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so that whatever it is that we do, that we will do for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.